Well, it's Wednesday, uh, May the 13th, and uh, our Bible study uh, for today is uh, from 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to uh, spend a little time again today in uh, the book of 1 Peter. Uh, I trust that you're doing well. Thank you for listening, and uh, hopefully the Word of God will bless your heart as we study it together. You know, in recent weeks, we've considered the gracious salvation provided for humanity and the hope that we have in Christ, even in the midst of great difficulty. And having assured believers in their faith through the certainty of God's promises, Peter now turns his attention to the life we are to live following salvation. There are countless benefits associated with salvation in this life and the life to come. We just heard, count your many blessings. And there are countless blessings. Uh, But uh, we are thankful for all the blessings that we do have. But the salvation experience is just the beginning of a wonderful journey with the Lord. Salvation provides the strength and the resources we need to live victoriously in this life, but it does not shield us from adversity or release us from our obligations to be a witness for Christ. In fact, coming to Christ will likely increase our opposition from others, and it carries a responsibility to be a witness for the Lord. We're called to a life of holiness in the Lord. And this is a subject that we often overlook and neglect in our modern society. Uh, Many Christians never realize the obligation to live their lives according to God's desire and God's will. Few today seek to strengthen their walk with the Lord, genuinely desiring to be conformed to His image. It is a difficult task, one that requires crucifying the flesh and living in light of Christ's holiness. But this is the expectation for every believer. And so I want to examine the expectations within the text as we consider hope and holiness. First of all, notice the conduct of the believer. We see here in verses 13 and 14 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And here Peter's discussing the conduct we are to possess, the actions within our day-to-day lives. This is the hope aspect where he reveals, first of all, our obligations. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as we consider these obligations, we are immediately reminded of the gracious salvation we have received. In light of such grace and provision, we are challenged to live upright before the Lord. This isn't an exhaustive list of obligations, but there are some essentials to holiness before the Lord. And Peter speaks of our attitude, first of all. Our attitude. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, He uses a common occurrence in their daily lives to reveal a great truth. In the culture of Peter's day, 
Even men wore some long flowing garments. And typically this wasn't a problem unless they needed to walk quickly or take out on a run. If they needed to move quickly, they would often pull up their garment and stuff it into the belt around their waist in order to prevent it from hindering their movement. Often we allow our minds to become cluttered with the cares and desires of the flesh which impede our thinking and our attitude toward holiness. We must give attention to the gathering up and the dealing with anything that hinders a godly attitude. And when we fail to do so, it'll hinder our progress in living upright before the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So first of all, we see our actions or our attitude. Secondly, we see our actions. It says here, be sober. Now that phrase is often referred to in light of abstaining from intoxicating beverages. And it certainly has an application for that, but it's not limited to that. It means to be sober in mind and behavior, to be controlled in all things, not to be given over to indulgence or license or extravagance. And just as strong drink alters one's judgment and behavior, so does a heart not right with the Lord. And we must always live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, seeking to please the Lord instead of indulging the flesh. So we see our attitudes, our actions, and then thirdly, our aspirations. It says here, And hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to bear in mind the difficulty believers face during the moment, that moment in time. And although they faced great adversity and persecution, their hope was not limited to this world. They had been saved by the grace of God, and he would keep them throughout eternity. And so Peter encouraged them to maintain a spiritual focus in the midst of physical adversity. The Lord had begun a great work in them, and he would see it through to completion. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So first of all, we see here in the conduct of the believer our obligations. Secondly, our obedience. Verse 14. As obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, we're reminded of the great change that happened in our lives at salvation. Uh, we were bought with a price, and we are no longer our own. Jesus shed his life's blood on the cross, redeeming us from sin and placing us within the family of God. We've been delivered from a life of bondage, of sin, liberated in Christ. As believers, we are now called to 
live in obedience to God, not to the former lusts of the old man of sin. Peter offers an interesting thought here, according to the former lust in, their, in your ignorance. Now, we, while we lived in sin, we were condemned by sin and accountable for that sin, but we sinned in ignorance to the truth of God. Our eyes had not been opened to the truth of the gospel. And after salvation, we can no longer claim ignorance. We've been delivered from darkness to, into light. The Holy Spirit now resides within, bringing guidance and conviction. And we are without excuse in regard to sin, and we're expected to live in obedience to the Lord. Romans 6.4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so first of all, we've seen here the conduct of the believer. But then notice secondly, the conformity of the believer. See this in verses 15 through 17. And having dealt with the expectations regarding our conduct, Peter now addresses our conformity to the image of Christ. This is the holiness aspect. Notice, first of all, the example. Verse 15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy. We're reminded of the holiness of the Lord. Uh, this is a very humbling thought. Every believer ought to be aware of the holiness of God. But I fear we lose the awe and the wonder over time. God's very nature is absolute holiness. He will not fellowship with those who are unholy or tolerant of iniquity of any kind in his presence. Sin created separation. And we were reconciled to God, having an opportunity of the dwelling in his presence, and we too would have to be made holy. The only way that's possible was through the sacrifice of Christ, his son, and his holiness being imputed to our account. The saved are now viewed in light of the holiness of Christ. In light of the sacrifice of Christ, considered, consider the hatred God has for sin and his great love for humanity. If all of that has done, was, has done to secure our righteousness, well, then we ought to live in light of it. We cannot minimize sin in the sight of God. God has set the example for us, and we must strive to follow the example of holiness set before us. And when sin enters our lives, we must be willing to immediately confess and forsake that sin. So we see here the example, but then we go on and see the expectation. Verse 15 goes on to say, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God set the standard that we should follow and strive to obtain. Now I will agree that we will never achieve sinless perfection in this life, but we must strive to obtain it. Every believer is expected to strive for holiness in this life. 
Now we must notice this isn't limited to Sunday mornings or attending church activities. We're expected to be holy in all manner of conversation. And I realize the word conversation in our modern day is limited to our speech, but it involves much more than that. The world word literally has the idea of our entire conduct and manner of life. In essence, every thought, every action, and every deed must be done in light of the holiness of God. God's standard of holiness and expectation for his people has been consistent throughout the life of humanity. Peter offers the charge for us to be holy in every area of life and even quotes the command for holiness that God gave the children of Israel in Leviticus 11 and verse 44. And even though modern society cares nothing for the ways of God and rejects his holiness, we re remain obligated to live upright before him. In fact, the need is greater today than any other time in our nation's history. Those around us need to experience and interact with believers who live upright for the Lord. We will never be an effective witness for the Lord if our lives are no different than anyone else. Much damage has been done to the cause of Christ by those who profess a relationship with him. But their actions reveal something entirely different. May we live upright for the Lord in the midst of a sinful and perverse generation. But then thirdly, notice not only the example and the expectation, but the exercise. Verse 17 says, And if we call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Finally, Peter speaks of the exercise of our faith and hope, which leads to conformity in Christ. Notice he speaks of, first of all, worship. He says, and if ye call on the Father. Now the exercise of calling on the Father involves an attitude of reverence and adoration. Our prayers before the Lord should always be considered an act of worship. And I'm I am convinced we can't pray if worship is absent from our prayer. Worship is always essential when we approach the throne of grace. Actually, I can think of no better motivation for holiness than faithful worship of the Lord. As we sense His holiness and goodness and grace, we will be compelled to submit ourselves unto Him, seeking to live upright before Him. So first of all, the exercise involves worship. Secondly, wisdom. It says, and if we call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. Peter speaks of the great wisdom God possesses, having the ability to rightly judge without prejudice according to man's work. And our lives are not hidden before the Lord. He sees and he knows the very intents of our hearts. He knows every detail of our lives. Such wisdom and knowledge should serve to motivate us to be open and honest before the Lord, seeking to live in a way that pleases him. 
He desires every believer to enjoy the very best he has to offer. He wants to bless us in this life and use us for his glory. And the only way that is possible is for us to be seeking holiness before him as much as we possibly can. And so he speaks of the exercise of our faith, first of all, in worship, then wisdom, and then thirdly, wonder. Let me read that verse again, verse 17. And if ye call on the Father, who without of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. As we exercise worship in light of God's infinite wisdom, our hearts should be filled with wonder. Peter admonishes us to keep the holy nature of God before us. We're to live in wonder of the Lord, possessing a reverent fear for Him. And I can assure you that the fear of the Lord will transform your life and my life. This doesn't indicate that we're afraid to enter into the presence of God or attempt anything for Him, but that we love Him, we adore Him so much that He is the desire of our hearts. We have a longing to live for Him and honor Him in all we do. Now this has been a comforting passage that offers a great challenge as well. We have received much in Christ our Lord. We can't begin to comprehend all that we have in Him or the glory that He awaits that awaits us. Surely such grace and passion and pro- Provision will compel us to live upright before the Lord. There is a great work to do. And we need to be in a position spiritually to accomplish what the Lord desires of us. And I'll admit, the Lord has dealt with my heart, even in in thinking about this passage. There's room for needed improvement in my life and my walk with the Lord. What about you? Is your life pleasing unto the Lord? Are you living in the light of His holiness? If not, seek Him and confess your faults and receive His guidance and help. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you are not walking with Him. Come to Him and receive the salvation that He offers. You see, trusting Jesus for salvation and trusting Him as you live to please Him is your only real hope for this life, and for eternity. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the privilege of of, uh, coming before you. We thank you, Lord, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, and we pray, Lord, that we come with adoration and love because we know that you love us. You've cared for us, and you've provided a great salvation for us. We thank you for all the benefits that we have through that salvation. But, Lord, help us to be mindful of how we are to be pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with our people and our our various families and the needs that they have. Be with those who are uh, not uh, doing well physically. But, Lord, that you'll encourage their hearts as well and help them to uh, see this thing through and and uh, be, have the healing that they need. We pray for our missionary families as well, wherever they might be today. Some here uh, in the States kind of wing out the, uh, the virus and the 
various uh, quarantines and so forth, some uh, on the field quarantined there and not able to do much there, but they're doing what they can. We thank you, Lord, for that. And we pray for them to have good strength and health and uh, be a blessing to those that they minister to. Thank you again for the privilege of coming uh, before you and to just to see what your word has to say for us. And we pray, Lord, that we'll live a life that's pleasing for you, thinking of all the many blessings that we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.